Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 4 in just a moment. Uh, Most of the books of the New Testament were written as letters to individuals or churches. Some were letters to churches like the church in Corinth, the church in Galatia, in Ephesus, in Philippi, Colossae, and Thessalonica. Some were letters to pastors or individuals. There's pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. And there's letters to individual believers like Philemon and 3rd John and possibly 2nd John. And then there's general letters out to all believers and possibly 2nd John fits in that one. And, and then there's Hebrews and James and 1st John and Jude and Revelation all written out to a lot of different people uh, to worship the Lord and follow the Lord. And, and uh, so we need to realize that these were letters. So there's a personal setting and Christianity is not just your faith in Christ. It's your faith in Christ lived out with other people. God is a relational God, and God wants us to connect and work with Him and and with others. So uh, the personal settings in these letters remind us of that. And the Bible was not written to you. There's You're not going to open a book of the Bible and it thus says the Lord to Ben Mollett. It's not there. But the Bible was written for you so that you could learn and grow and mature. And the book of 1 Corinthians was written to believers in the city of Corinth. It was a letter from the Apostle Paul, and it was designed to correct several areas they had messed up, and it was designed to encourage them in areas they were doing well. And uh, they, they were... Uh, encouraged by receiving this letter. And in this letter, Paul addresses these people personally, and he talks to them in a personal way. And we especially need to understand that when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Because in chapter 4, he's actually sarcastic. Now, he's not sarcastic in he trying to make fun of somebody and he's being snarky and obnoxious trying to embarrass them. He's sarcastic as a literary device to help them understand the truth of the message. So in this chapter, he's going to show some sarcasm. And if you're not appreciating that, then you're going to get mixed up on what he's saying. And if you take your Bible and look in uh, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the first two verses say, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. So Sosthenes was joining with Paul as they were uh, writing this letter. Then he says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, who all, uh, called to be saints, with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. All right, now go back to chapter 4. We'll be there in just a moment. But I want you to picture you're in the city of Corinth and you're one of these people and this letter was written to you guys. And so you get this letter. Well, what do you do? You gather together as a church and you read the letter. Now, you know from the studies we've already done in this book that some of the people in that church said, we are of Paul. So when this letter came from Paul, they're like, yes, Our founding pastor, the evangelist who started this church, the missionary who planted this work, he's now writing to us, and we're going to be encouraged in this. And maybe if those were follows up 
Apollos and Cephas, maybe they wouldn't be as excited. And then when Paul starts writing and he starts critiquing their divisiveness and complaining about their sectarianism, that they were dividing the church into sects, into separate groups of people, and they weren't working together. And so uh, even the ones who said, we're a Paul, and they were excited to get this letter, by now they're a little bit embarrassed because Paul has exposed the sinfulness of what they've been doing. Now he gets into chapter 4, and, you know, the, the Bible was not written to you, but it was for you. Peter wrote that... Uh, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit superintended the process of this book. So even though Paul wrote a letter to Corinth, the Holy Spirit inspired this book so that what Paul wrote were the very words God wanted said. And then the Holy Spirit preserved these words down through the centuries so we could have the Word of God. Chapter 4, he says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Let's pause right there. Okay, the first thing that we see here is that God has called us to serve. God has called us to serve others for Him and with Him, as we looked earlier in this book. A couple of pastors teamed up to write a book to pastors. One was an older pastor, one was younger, one was uh, retired, one was in the middle of his ministry, and, and they wrote these words to pastors. Our goal is not to be well-known and respected. Our goal is not to have a large church or congregation, which draws forth the admiration and perhaps jealousy of others. Our goal is not to draw people around us that are loyal to us, rather than to our Lord Jesus Christ. We want them to be loyal to our Lord Jesus Christ. Our goal is not to make ourselves indispensable. Such goals are goals of ownership, whereas our goals are of stewardship. Those whom we pastor and teach are entrusted to us. They are not our people, but Jesus Christ's people. He says, let him uh, so account of us, and let a man so consider us, or so account of us. Uh, this is a determination after an appraisal. So you've evaluated, you've determined, like maybe you've taken something to a jeweler and, you know, they'll scope and they'll put on their little eye and they'll look at it and they'll rate it and they'll evaluate it and they'll score it. And maybe you tried to trade in a car and they've evaluated and looked over your car and then told you how much money they would give you for the trade-in. This is that so account, so consider a determination reached after an appraisal. So account of us as servants or ministers of Christ, ones who serve one another. That's what we're called to do. In fact, if you can look back over the last week and not think of a way that you served and helped somebody else, then maybe you need to change your priorities. God has called us to serve and help and, and minister. We have a, a visitor here with us this morning, and he's already served here at church. He ran out and carried a box in for somebody, and, and what a blessing. Uh, we are called to serve. We are subordinate. We are under authority. All of us are. 
The Lord Jesus Christ is the authority of this church, and we are all equally under his authority. Elsewhere, Paul calls us bond slaves. And then we are stewards. He said, let a man so account of us, so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. A steward is somebody who is uh, entrusted for a task. In business parlance and even in the church, we call the, the role of the lead stewards, they are the trustees of the church or the trustees of the organization. It's the, the title and the function we get from the word steward. We are entrusted with a task and an obligation and we have a responsibility to do what the authority wants us to do. In fact, if you invest your money with somebody, and they are trustees of your funds, and if they do not handle your funds appropriately, they've actually committed a criminal act because we hold them responsible to do what the one in authority wants done. And so we follow Jesus Christ by serving as he did and being faithful to share the message as he did. And he has given us the opportunity to tell the sweet story of Christ and his love. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We serve others for him and with him. And God has given you skills and talents that you need to use for him, for his glory, and to help others. Then verse 2, God's standard is our faithfulness. God's standard is faithfulness. Verse 2, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. I'm particularly glad that he didn't say uh, it's found in, uh, that you have to be really good looking. When I was growing up, I had a brother who was really good looking. And uh, then I, my older brother and I, the brother in between, my, our middle brother, he was really good looking. And people would come, they'd talk to us, and they'd say, hey, guys, how are you? Wow, that Gary sure is good looking. They never said, wow, that Jim or Terry's really good looking. I'm glad God doesn't require that. I'm glad he doesn't require riches. I'm glad what God looks for is not the results of what you do, but the faithfulness that you have to do it. It's required to be faithful. When you look for somebody to be in charge of something, you want them to be faithful. Like in our church, in order for somebody to serve as a trustee or a deacon in leadership in the church, they have to have been a member for over a year. Why? So that we can get to know them and trust them and rely on them and affirm their judgment. And then when they get committed to serve in that role, we know they're actually going to do it. As, disciple, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have an obligation to do what he wants you to do and to avoid what he condemns. What he condemns when God says no, we're supposed to agree with God and say, no, we won't go there. Revelation 22 teaches that God is eager to reward you for your faithfulness. 
So when he says here in verse 2, moreover it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. That word found implies looking and analyzing and being discovered to be faithful. And you see, that's what God wants. God's not sitting up in heaven saying, boy, I, I hope Jerry messes up. I want to see Jerry have to get in trouble with his dad. <laughs> that's not what God is doing. What God is doing in heaven, he's saying, I really hope Jerry does what's right. I want him to avoid the bad stuff and do the good stuff so I can reward him. That's the attitude of God. He is looking for us to be faithful for our good and his glory. Look in verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Now, if you look at this, Paul's saying, I'm not really aware of sin in my life, but he's saying that's not a big deal. Uh, Psalm 19 talks about secret sins. Lord, deliver me from secret sins, sins that I'm not really aware of. God is so righteous and so holy, and we are so not, that we can sin and not even be aware of that sin. Because God sees all the way into our heart. And so Paul said, I'm not aware of sin, but that's no big deal. And you judging me is no big deal. Now, for those of you who are new here, I am colorblind. And so, you know, it's, it's like watching black and white movies for me. Uh, and so every now and then, my family forgets this. You know, and one of, one of the daughters would come up to me when they were still at home, and they'd say, hey, how does this look? Does this look good? Does this go together? And what do you think my response was? Looks good to me. <laughs> how would I know? You know, and then as soon as I said, looks good to me, they'd say, oh, what am I doing asking you? And they'd go look for their mom, uh, one who could really tell the difference. Uh, see, God's standard is, is faithfulness, and God wants us to be found faithful. But, but in verses 3 and 4, being approved by yourself or other people is insignificant. You answer to God. See, what they really wanted was somebody who knew colors and had a sense of fashion. And then that person could share with them what it meant. Did it work? Did it look good? And generally speaking, you're not going to ask a guy that question, right? It's just not going to happen. They, the guys that have good color vision don't always have good fashion sense. In fact, most guys would rather just wear white socks, shorts, and t-shirts, right? That's, that's where we're most comfortable. But, but God's word says that judgment day will come. And when God has that judgment day, his heart is he wants to reward you. You do know there's two separate judgments, right? For the unbeliever, there's the great white throne judgment. For the believer, there's the judgment seat of Christ, also called the Bema seat. Uh, and the judgment seat of Christ where we get our rewards. But for the unbeliever, they get cast into the lake of fire. So the, he's writing to believers. We established that in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He's writing to believers, and he's telling them, hey, listen, God wants you to be approved by him in that day. And so 
you know, if seven and a half billion people on the planet all say you messed up, but God approves of you, then you're okay. And you'll get rewarded in that day. Job's miserable friends critiqued and accused him, but God praised Job. And God could praise you even when others are fussing at you. Paul said, do not evaluate your life on the basis of what other people say. See, some people in that church were saying, we are of Paul. And they were almost worshiping Paul. And Paul said, that doesn't mean anything to me. And even looking in my own heart doesn't mean much to me. What matters is what God says when God looks down from heaven and evaluates my life. Being approved by God is what really counts. And in verse 5, we see that the praise worth receiving will come from God. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. There was a time in Texas where a pastor retired. He'd been there a long time. He was a faithful pastor. It was a very large church. And so they had a a pulpit committee, and they did research, and they evaluated, and they looked over, and they found a guy who was in a different city, uh, but he had a big, fairly large church, and they thought, this guy could step into this role, and he could do a good job, and so they moved this guy in, and they, their pastor retired, and they brought in this new pastor, and they were excited to get this new pastor there, and in less than six months, they had dismissed him. See, what they found out is even though he had a reputation of being a very faithful pastor, he had a girlfriend he was keeping on the side, hidden from his church. And when they found that out, they dismissed him, rightly so, rightly so. But we can hide things. Some people are masters of deceit. Some people pride themselves on being able to deceive others. And God wants us to be genuine and open. And the real praise is the praise that comes from God. Someone said, you have to begin with the end in mind. You're going to stand before God someday. There's going to be evaluation of your works. What do you want to see in that day? And so you think about that, and then you reverse engineer. You say, okay, in that day, that's what I want. So now what do I need to start doing on this day so I can be ready for that day? So that day can be a success. And then prepare. What do you want to experience when God is giving his rewards, and you have the gold, silver, and precious stones, the wood, hay, and stubble, or straw. Uh, What are you going to experience in that day? Well, now live in a way that makes that day possible, because the praise worth receiving comes from God. And if somebody just praises you, thinks you're wonderful, you know, like they think you're the fourth person of the Trinity or something like that, you you just say thank you, and don't let it go to your head. Because God knows the truth, and he'll evaluate you. And when God praises you, that's what counts. Be faithful. Be consistent. Be steady. Be ready. That day will come. All right, verses 6 and 7 teach us that every ability you have is a gift from God. 
Now, I picked this picture on purpose. It's a lady shooting archery. And, and I, maybe it's interesting, you ladies might appreciate this, uh, that archery is the only Olympic sport where the women outdo the men. They actually can shoot archery better than the best men in several of the Olympic venues of archery. So I thought you ladies might enjoy that. It has nothing to do with what the Bible says, but fun facts to know and tell. Now, don't go away and say, well, I learned in church that ladies are really good in archery. Learn something else too, okay? Please, please. But every ability you have is a gift from God. Look at verse 6. He says, uh, now these things, brethren... I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written in the Scripture, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did re indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? It's a gift from God. Now, some people, they brag because they're smarter than other people. They think they're better than other people because they're smarter. But the Bible praises our kindness more than our intelligence. Some people are proud that they're stronger than other people. But the Bible says spiritual strength is way more important than physical strength. Some people are proud that they're taller than other people. Who, who gave you those genes? Who gave you the capacity to grow? God did. Why does he make some people not so tall and other people really tall? I don't know. But you are not better because you're taller. In fact, sometimes life is easier when you're shorter, not when you're trying to grab something off the upper shelf at Walmart or your cabinet in the kitchen. But, but it's, it's, you can buy clothes easier. You can fit in cars easier when you're smaller. I used to make fun of Kathy because I like really hot, spicy foods, you know. I, I had this special blend a friend would make me of habanero, serrano, and jalapeno pepper blend, and I'd mix that into burgers or put it on sandwiches. Oh, man, that was the good stuff. In fact, by your second bite, if you weren't sweating, it wasn't good, you know? And, and Kathy thinks ketchup has a kick. And so I'd act like I was better than her because I love this hot stuff. You know, the truth is she eats more foods than I do. She likes squash. Oh. Only squash I'll eat is pumpkin pie. Uh, but, but, you know, she likes a lot of other foods. And so you're not better than somebody else because you like things hotter. Or, you know, you walk outside and that's 115. You say, ah, this feels good, like some weird people named Clorinda do. And, and, or, or you walk out and it's 30 degrees. You say, oh, this feels good. And you put on a short sleeve shirt like Dean would do. Now, God designed you to be different. He didn't mean weird. He meant different. Your weirdness, that's something you might need to work out. But God did not make you better than other people. And every gift you have, including the ability to take a breath, is a gift you receive from God. 
And so you need to think about that. And God gave you natural abilities and spiritual gifts so that you could accomplish things for him. There is a way to use every one of your skills to do something that would benefit other people and give glory to God. If you can't figure it out, ask somebody else. They'll be able to help you. Every gift you have is a gift from God. And Paul said, when God did, made you different from other people and you have not earned this giftedness, it is received from God. Now, look at verse 8. You are already, this is where he gets sarcastic, okay? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we might reign with you. He's, he's saying, you guys are elevating yourself and exalting yourselves and lifting yourself up. He said, oh, I wish we could just get up there and be exalted with you. Then he says in verse 9, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. He says, if you guys are exalting yourselves, then what about the apostles of God? Did God just make apostles so that people could laugh at them and look down on them because they had to suffer so much? Then he says in verse 10, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat, made fun of, we, we in, encourage people and he, try and help them. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. This is where Paul's using sarcasms. He's saying, listen, you people in court, you think you're great. You've exalted yourself. You've lifted yourself above. And he said, you're not there. The one who is there is God's the one who is above. All the rest of us are down here. The ground is level at the cross. Maybe you've heard that statement. We all are down here serving God. He's the one up there. And when you try and lift yourself up above other people, then you are denying the Lord Jesus Christ. You're taking His place because there's one between you and God. Who's that? The man Christ Jesus. The scripture very clearly says he's the mediator. He's the one between, not some other human being. So who are you compared to God? Who are you compared to God? Those who are arrogant do not have a clear picture of the awesomeness of God. And they don't understand that serving God on earth often brings pain and suffering. Maybe you have amazing eyesight. And you can see way better than most people. God can see all the way to your heart and your soul. Maybe you have phenomenal hearing. Some of you do. Some of us don't. Uh, some of you have phenomenal hearing. But, but God can hear every sound in the world at the same time, distinguish each sound and even know what's coming next. Some people act like they're special because they're rich. God owns the universe. God is amazing and awesome. You, not so much. 
I'll let you, you can say that to the person next to you, okay? God is amazing and awesome. You, not so much. Go ahead. You can say that to somebody. Yeah. Not so much. So God allows people to serve with Him and for Him. Not because we're special, but because He is. He takes people like Saul of Tarsus, one of the meanest men in Israel, and turns him into Paul the Apostle, one of the most kind and gracious people on the planet. Because God is gracious. And God allows pain and suffering to humble you and force you to depend on Him. He puts us in circumstances beyond our capacity to stretch our faith and grow us in our relationship with Him. His power is magnified in our weakness. That God could do this amazing thing called the church through weak, fallible people? What an awesome God. And we should celebrate him and not lift ourselves up. So Paul was explaining to these people that you're looking in the wrong direction. We're not supposed to compare ourselves to other people or to who we used to be. We're supposed to compare ourselves to Jesus Christ and grow toward him. Look at verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So here's another idea here. Never forget that you came to Christ through the ministry of others. Some of you in this room have been led to Christ by someone in this room. You have received Christ as your Savior. You have trusted Him. Uh, you have followed Him. You have committed to serve Him. But, but it began here. And, and we are called to serve and represent the Lord. And the Apostle Paul had a unique calling of God. Remember, he was on the road to Damascus, light from heaven. God said, I'm calling you. And then Paul became a believer. But even Paul could look back in his life and remember Stephen's death. And Paul could see how what Stephen did had an influence that helped in the process of him coming toward the Lord. Somebody shared the gospel with you or gave you a Bible or you listened to a message on the internet or on television or somebody put a track in your hand and, and you came to know Christ. Somebody invited you to church and, and you went and uh, God reaches out and works through people. Never forget that you came to Christ through the ministry of somebody else, and others might come to Christ through your ministry. I, I like to say that people like you come to Christ through the ministry of people like you. You can make a difference in the lives of others, people just like you. And Jesus said, giving a, a cup of cold water in his name is a reward-worthy thing. 
So remember that you came to Christ through others and others can come to Christ through you and we're part of this great group of people who receive the greatest gift of all, salvation. Look at verse 16. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now remember, he wasn't telling them to be his disciples. He wanted them to be disciples of Christ. But he said, follow the pattern of dedication that I have given. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul could not be there, so he was sending Timothy. Timothy was faithful and committed to serve Christ well, and God used him in several churches, especially in Ephesus. And we are partnering with each other. All of us are. And with missionaries and Bible colleges and evangelists and and churches in other parts of the world. I have actively participated in churches growing up and as an adult. California, Idaho, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Nebraska. I have preached in churches in California, Arizona, New Mexico, North Carolina, Texas, Kansas, Georgia, Florida, Mexico, and Cuba. God uses us as we serve with him. But it's all the same faith. We all get saved the same way. Repent of your sins. Ask Christ to be your Savior. Receive the gift of salvation. And then you are justified and adopted into God's family. We share the same faith and we serve the same Lord. In fact, Kathy and I had the opportunity to minister in Cuba a couple different times and uh, together. And I went another, uh, I don't know. I think I went about 12 times and she went twice. And, and uh, as, as we were ministering together, and we'd get together with the pastors and their wives and we'd ask them, what's the biggest burden of your heart? And you know what they all said? Every single one of them said? Our kids. We want our kids to love and follow Jesus Christ. Well, any of you who had kids, you have the same heart, the same desire. You want your kids to love and follow Jesus Christ. That's the same around the world. It's not a unique American need. It's the need of people around the world. And so the work of Christ is flourishing when we're partnering with God and with other people and we're serving Him and we're ministering together and it's the same need all around the world. Now there are certain things that are unique to our city. Um, when, uh, when our daughter went to graduation at the high school, I'm not sure whether they still do it or not. I haven't been to a graduation since Benjamin's. But the kids would throw tortillas at the high school graduation. Why? Well, because this is Casa Grande, so we throw tortillas, right? Uh, and, and our daughter acted like this was normal. Say, oh, everybody does that at graduations. I said, no, they don't. Not anywhere else that I've been. And Kathy and I went to a couple of graduations in Tucson, and they didn't throw tortillas. Beach balls, yes. Tortillas, not so much. Uh, but, But God is in charge, and his work is the same around the world. And remind yourself that we're doing a great work for God here, and God is at work all around the world. And parents... On the days when your kids are really stressing you out, one of the things that can encourage you greatly is if you are involved in another ministry. And then you can say in your heart, at least some kids are listening to me, right? And you can be encouraged in that process. All right, look at verse 18. 
verse 18. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the words of those who are puffed up, but the power. So uh, God rules over the circumstances of your life. Your best laid plans may fail. Listen to these words from James. James writes in James chapter 4, come to now or go to now. Uh, You say, come on or go away. You know, we use that same terminology. Uh, Come to now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a place and such a city and spend a year there and we'll buy and sell and make a profit. Sounds like the American dream, right? And and then he says, uh, wherefore, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. We have this tea kettle that was uh, heating up water this morning. I don't know which lady in our house was having tea, uh, but that tea kettle was heating up and then the steam rose up from it. I was really surprised how high it went. It went way up. And then as soon as this little tag flipped off and it said it was done, you saw that vapor just go down and then disappear. It was gone. It was there. You could see it if you stuck your hand in it. You would feel the heat of it. But then it was gone. He said, that's kind of what your life is. You're here for a little time and then vanishes away. Now, I haven't been able to pick on Dan Weber much because he hasn't been able to join us much. But even Dan Weber's life is just a vapor. Here for a little bit and gone. Now, Dan is about the same age as my dad. My dad was just a little bit older. My dad's now with the Lord. But, you know, Dan Weber can look back 40 years ago when he trusted Christ and 40 years before that when he was a little kid. He can remember a lot of stuff. But life on earth is this itty-bitty little fragment of time compared to our life in eternity. And and we need to remember that we yield to Christ. When we make plans, James said, you're making these plans. And then he says, here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. He's not saying it's evil to make plans. And he's not saying it's evil to make money. What he's saying is, it's evil to boast about it. So we come back to Paul, and Paul said, I want to come to you if the Lord wills. That's how we should say our plans. That's how we should plan things. If the Lord allows, this is what I want to do. If you give it your best shot and fail, guess what? God can still use your best shot because he's awesome God. He can take mess ups and make things beautiful because he works all things together for good to them who know God, them who are the called according to his scripture. When we know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, God works things together. Now, I get frustrated sometimes and I need to remind myself when I'm feeling frustrated because of my own failure or the behavior of somebody else or the circumstance that I'm in. I need to remind myself, okay, God, you're in charge. You have allowed this in my life, so what should I do now? Instead, we we fuss and we complain 
And we make plans. And because of the pandemic, we were forced to put our message online. For a time, that was all that we did for a few weeks. And then we were able to meet together again. And we're still putting it out online. There's people tuning in right now that were faithfully attending here. Now they're faithfully watching and partnering with us online. And see, we wouldn't have had this capacity if we hadn't had to. Most of the growth in your life comes because you had to. Even in my own life, I was not a healthy eater. And I became diabetic. And now I'm a healthy eater. Because it, I had to. I couldn't keep doing what I had been doing. And you can look back in your own life and say, well, because God allowed this, this positive change took place. God is ruling over the circumstances of your life, and we can trust and follow Him. And then He says, uh, you are puffed up, but He's not going to come with words that are puffed up, but of power. For the kingdom of God is not of this world, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Uh, this is the work of God, not man. You must be faithful, but God must empower His work. We need His power. Can you click that up? We need His power, and we need His provision, and we need God to work. We can be faithful and nothing happen, or we can uh, be faithful and God richly bless. But if anything good is going to happen in our church and in our lives, it's because God is empowering that. We must be faithful, but God must actually make it happen. We need His power and His provision. As the Scripture says, if, if God be for us, who can be against us? We must do it His way in His power. And so... Uh, if, if you teach a Sunday school class and the kids just really connect and really grow and, and then 20 years later they write to you and they say, I remember that lesson and how it changed my life. It's the empowering of the Holy Spirit because only the Holy Spirit can make kids pay attention. And the Holy Spirit empowered that and made it happen. So, on the beginning slide, we had on a scale of 1 to 10. Well, on a scale of 1 to 10, what score would your community give you for showing a testimony of Christ-likeness? What, what score would your family give you? Now, what's the most important thing? What score would God give you? That's the most important. As God evaluates your life, what score would He give you? Would He say, you're doing a good job? Or would He say, I really wish you'd step up? Would He say, you're being a good kid? You're being a good adult? You're, you're doing a good job? You're being a good employee? You're being a good supervisor? Or would He say, I really want you to change. See, Paul wrote to this church because they had a few problems. And he wanted to encourage them in Christ. He wanted them to serve Christ. And he wanted them to be able, on that day they stand before Christ, to be able to receive rewards from Christ. 
So in your parenting, remember your number one job is to prepare your kids for that day. In your Awana ministry, in your Sunday school class, your number one thing is to prepare kids for that day, or adults if you're teaching adults, to prepare them for that day. And so before you leave today, maybe you need to sit down with the scale and 1 to 10 and and grade yourself. And and if you give yourself a 10, then you're not looking at your eyes, life the way God does. The only perfect 10 was Jesus. But look and see if there's areas that you can see you have a need to grow and change. Because God is awesome God. And he gives us the opportunity to keep growing up and to serve with him.